morning, Five Oaks. <laughs> Glad to be with you here this morning, and I want to give a special shout out to our friends and family watching online or listening. Glad that you're participating in that way. Well, I'm Jonathan, I'm the small group's pastor, and we are in week seven of an eight-week series called Gospel Resilience, and we've slowed down as we've been going through Romans chapters five through eight to really focus in on chapter eight. And to remind you, this whole series has been about having a resilient faith in the face of suffering and disappointment or uh, self, uh, misplaced self-confidence or temptation, disappointment. And I think we see that when we fail to see God's active engagement and work, that we can become less dependent on Him and lose trust in Him. And so how can we as Christians cultivate trust and dependence on God? And we're going to be looking at three ways that God works incredibly in your life every single day. Every day. And we're going to have increased confidence and trust and dependence and hope for our life today. And as always, we're going to be looking to God's Word because uh, knowing the Bible and God's purpose for our life doesn't need to be a mystery. That's why every time we get together, we're going to open the Bible together. So I want to invite you to do that right now. If you had brought a Bible with you, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the seat racks in front of you. That's on page 1133. And if you're using a tablet or phone, uh, we're using the NIV translation. So, but before we jump in to the text, we need to pray because we need God to illuminate his word and work in our hearts. That's who we're here to meet and who's going to change us. And so I invite you to just pray with me. First part of this prayer is from Psalm 143. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word and for the ways you faithfully speak to us through it. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you would illuminate the things we need to see and understand. Soften our hearts and shape us by your truth. Help us not just to see you and to know you now in these moments, but to remember who you are as we bring your truth and light into the world around us. Father, we're thankful for this time and those that are gathered with us here and around the world. And I just pray that you'd help us to see you more clearly here today. This is your time to do with us what you would will in our hearts. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go to the video, I invite you to uh, read the verses along with our scripture reader. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Awesome verses today. Uh, but here's the first way that God works in your life every day. Praying perfectly for you. 
Look back at what it says here in the first couple of verses. 26. In the same way, uh, the, the creation is groaning from last week and we're in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts, the Father, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I mean, I think what's awesome here is God, He's invited us into this perfect relationship He already has within Himself, the Trinity. You see a close-up view of just these five verses. The Trinity's all there. And the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf the perfect will of God, the Father that knows our hearts, your desires, everything going on, and He knows the mind of the Spirit, the deepest thoughts. I just think about those moments where maybe we feel just unexplainably off and you don't know why, or or you feel like you've been praying for a situation for years and you don't even know what to to pray for anymore. I know I felt like that. I mean, I've gotten sometimes these texts that are like, pray for this, and it's very vague, and it's ominous, but it's serious, and I don't know what to even pray for. I feel helpless without any focus or any words. And here's what's crazy, and that's what's mind-blowing about this passage, is just that in our weakness, we come to God in prayer, We don't even have the words, and we can be swept up in the majestic conversation happening between the Spirit and the Father. It's pretty amazing. But I know there's also a tension here, and I want to speak to it. When when you're praying and you just don't see an answer, or you feel like, where is God in this situation? Paul has set up these things with the previous verses that we saw from last week. Turn back to uh, verses 19 here. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We see that all of creation is groaning, tension-building, childbearing pains towards Christ's renewal of all creation. And we're absolutely caught in the same tension as the Roman church here where we see God's doing many things, but we also see so much suffering and know that God's full renewal has not come yet. God, we know you're already here, but we're seeing a lot of this not-yet stuff. And I, what Paul's doing here is Feeling this and thinking this is our greatest invitation to pray. That's when we feel that, that's our invitation to pray. And when we don't even know what to pray for and we're feeling the frustration, the hopelessness, or maybe even to the point of apathy because we've been frustrated for so long, Paul's inviting us to see that when you feel that, still be confident that the Holy Spirit is praying perfectly for you even if you don't know what is best or what God would think is best, or even if you're questioning why are things this way or why is God allowing this, God invites us to bring those things to him and trust the Holy Spirit praying perfectly on our behalf. It's the idea that we still turn to God even when we have no idea what to say. That we would still turn to God even when we have no idea what to say. It's dependence and trust. We've seen his faithfulness 
as we read in his word and we've seen it in our lives. And we can depend and trust him because the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf the will of God. And I know there are times in our lives where we feel like maybe the, the lights have gone out and you just can't even see two feet in front of your face and, and what's going to happen next. And I, I know there was this one time uh, about 15 years ago, um, I had went out on the lake, I had borrowed a family boat and I was out on Lake Minnetonka for 4th of July. I mean... The vision of that's just awesome, being on Lake Minnetonka with the fireworks and all of that. And I brought out some friends, and we went this path that I hadn't exactly gone before many bays away. It's about a 30-minute um, boat ride, and we just enjoy the amazing fireworks, food, friendship, all that, having conversation. Um, but then I realized, wow, it is really dark. I am not sure what's going to happen here. Um, it's more dark than I expected because all the shoreline and everyone else has turned off the lights so you can enjoy the fireworks. And I hadn't taken this exact path before. And you're going, Jonathan, that wasn't very smart. Um, but here's the thing. like There were certain landmarks. I had been out there before. I knew the kind of the pathway that I should go, but none of those landmarks are lit up. I can't see them. And you know, I also had some scout training as a boy. I had like a gut feeling for, you know, cardinal direction. And, but to be honest with you, I was just completely anxious. Like I was thinking, we're going to have to sleep over on this boat <laughs> until it gets the morning so I can actually see where we're going to go. And I remember just praying like, God, help me find the way. I don't even know what to look for. I, I Just get me to the dock. And... The thing is, we didn't sleep over on the boat. We did get back to the dock, and I remember thanking God for just helping however that happened. Um, but like I said, we can be in those moments sometimes where we just feel like the lights have gone out and we don't even know what's next and what's going to happen, and God's asking us just to turn to Him. It's these moments God invites us to pray and just trust the Holy Spirit is praying perfectly for us. So that's the first way that God works in your life every day, for the Holy Spirit praying perfectly for you. And the second way is that he's working all things, even truly bad things, for good. Another story for you. When I was in college, my first semester, I had a 3.9 GPA. I was in Campus Crusade, now called Crew, and all this stuff, and life was pretty great. But then there's some choices that I made that sent me on a, on a downward spiral. And I almost flunked out the next semester. And it took me almost the whole summer to even tell my parents that. And then a lot of other really hard things happened to me in college, but also there are a lot of bad choices on, on my part from addiction to questioning my faith, one foot out, one foot in with everything. And it was a darker time in my life. But in and through that, I, I found the grace, mercy, and love of Jesus in a way I'd never had before. And I'd returned to him fully, and it was amazing. But what's interesting is because of my bad choices, I took a longer time graduating. My degree was in criminal justice. I was going to be a cop. 
That was the plan. I was even interviewing for places after graduating. And I remember God leading me in a totally different direction. And the direction was ministry. But what you don't know is the year prior to that, to me graduating, I started dating a girl named Stephanie, who's now my wife. And up to this point, since my late teenage years, I was not a church-going man. I had had a lot of bad experiences with our family. Our family kind of left the organized church, and I hadn't really dealt with that. But God used my wife to restore the goodness of the church, and I started going and participating again, and eventually onto worship team. Now, see, had I graduated on time, I don't think I would have been open to working at a church, but I graduated And through a crazy set of circumstances, I was hired at Five Oaks 15 years ago. One could say it's because I failed my second semester of freshman year that I've been with y'all for 15 years. (laughs) And God had worked all things, even truly bad things, for good, Um, assuming you like me being on staff here. (laughs) But let's look at the text again. 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I also want to dispel a couple of misinterpretations I've seen on this, and and these these are misinterpretations, which is, if you just love him enough, then he'll work things for your good. Misinterpretation one. And the other one, The good is always how you see good. That's misinterpretation number two. So first, it's not saying he'll work things for good if you just love him more. It's saying he'll work things for good for his family, which is those who love him. Those who love him is an identity marker. It's his people. That's, That's his people. Not, not like a striving on your part to like love him more. Okay, secondly, the good is not always how we see good. A lot of times we have a tendency to individualize texts, and he's talking about this greater people, and it's always going to be, what it, it's about me. Well, there's a greater good, and God's working for the good of his people, not necessarily the good that you would deem as good, at least right now, or good for you individually. And I mean, I mean, does that sometimes happen? Absolutely. Absolutely does. God loves to bless his people and sing over his people. That's absolutely true. But he also has a particular goal in mind for us, a good goal. We see it as we get into verse 29, partway down. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. being conformed, being shaped toward Christ. Good is conforming into Christ-likeness. That is good. Well, what does that look like? Well, there's a lot of places we could go, but I, I, I always love coming back to this moment of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane at his kind of seemingly weakest moment, and he's praying to his Father. And this is what it says in Luke 22, 42, where Jesus is praying. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. 
yet, not my will, but yours be done. I love how uh, Thomas Smale, who's a Scottish theologian, says this about this particular moment. He says this, that the father that Jesus addresses in the garden is the one that he has known all his life and found to be bountiful in his provision, reliable in his promises, and utterly faithful in his love. He can obey the will that sends him to the cross with hope and expectation because it is the will of Abba whose love has been so proved that it can now be trusted so fully by being obeyed so completely. This is not legal obedience driven by commandment, but trusting response to known love. Trusting response to known love. The promise of God working together all things for good is founded on the love and work of Jesus on the cross and trusting his goodness even in the face of our hardest things in life. We're to be like Jesus to have a trusting response to known love. For us, 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. Our love for God and others is out of his love for us. We can trust him because he loves us. And we can trust he will take even the things that are truly bad, the evil of this world that we endure or encounter and work them for the good of his people in the fullness of time. C.S. Lewis once wrote that there are two sorts of people in this world. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. But when we see that the Holy Spirit praying perfectly for us every day, and we see the Father working all things for the good of his people, we will be a people that say, thy will be done. Even when it's hard. And we cooperate with the Spirit to guide us. We cooperate with the Father, the worker of all things for good. I think it's actually helpful here in this text to to look back again at those verses, uh, speaking of creation before, verses 19, uh, because I think Paul has the creation in view and God working and God doing good. Just real quick, I mean, for the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We know the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth up to the moment. I mean, what happened in creation? Well, God created, God worked. God worked into what end? Good, 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 very good. We just, we see that, but we've messed it up. But now God is making and bringing everything into the new creation, a good new creation, including those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. I think it can be in transforming our life and allow us to embrace even hard things and hard conversations that we have to have as God working us into the new creation we are to be in Jesus toward this good, toward this goal of good. I mean, I, I know I've had a few conversations even in the last month where they're, they're just hard. And honestly, I was just like, I wish... I didn't have to have this conversation or be a part of this conversation or I wish this didn't happen to me. And it it reminded me of this moment um, in in Lord of the Rings where Frodo is feeling this despair and wishing it wasn't all on him and the things that are happening in his life. And he says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. 
And I, I love what Gandalf says to him back. He just says, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And we have a God who's able to work all things for the good of his people. We cooperate with the worker of good. We cooperate with him in the time that is given us, conformed into the image of Jesus. So God is working in your life every day through the Holy Spirit praying perfectly for you. And the Father working even the awful things in life to the good of his people. And thirdly, he's holding your future securely. He's holding your future securely. Here's the text again for that. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Well, here's, here's where I'm going with this. When we grasp that God holds our future securely, there's some ways in which we read this text and other texts which can leave us feeling passive or even paralyzed on one extreme or the other. And we can move away from those things into being active and able. And I'm going to show us how. Um, because one of the biggest things we're looking at is God's work through and through in this passage. It's really clear this is God's work through and through. But let's address some of the things happening in these verses because there's a lot of theology in these passages. And there's been a lot of theological discussions over the time's history on these passages. And this, this passage really does focus on God's work and has oftentimes been called the golden chain of redemption, this unbreakable chain from called to justified to glorified. And I think what we are seeing for sure is that the the, the set of verses bringing us into the eternal God creator. I mean, if you think about it, we're talking about foreknowledge of God and the future glorification and new creation of all things. I mean, think about looking at an eternal perspective here. And everything is in past tense. I don't know if you noticed that, like it's already happened, all the way up to glorified. I mean, did you notice how glorified was in the past tense? Like, we're not glorified yet. Well, I know I'm not, but like, we're not glorified yet. Well, you know why? Because it's as good as done. For God's holding securely the eternal new creation for his family. Nothing can thwart God's purposes for new creation. But now... Speaking to another idea, this passage gets us into the ideas of election and free will and determinism and all these other terms. And I think it's clear that it's all about God's work in this particular passage from creation to new creation. We even saw that kind of language in the previous verses from last week. And uh, I, I love what James Dunn, a theologian who worked with uh, N.T. Wright, on interpreting Paul says about this particular passage. He says this, Paul's not inviting reflection on the classic problem of determinism and free will or thinking in terms of a decree which excludes as well as one which includes. His thought is simply that from the perspective of the end, in all eternity, it will be evident that history has been the stage for the unfolding of God's purpose, the purpose of the creator fulfilling his original intentions in creating which is pretty amazing. 
Now, that, that, I, I, th- I think this is probably true, but I think for a lot of us, when we read certain verses, we kind of ping pong, and some rattling happens in our brain between like, okay, this is God, is this me? What's happening here? And here, here's something uh, that uh, rattled my brain. It's a, a French theologian, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he said, what if it is up to God if you find yourself in a world in which you are part of his chosen family? But it is up to you if you choose to be part of the family in the world you find yourself. Anybody else's brain hurt? Okay, here's the deal with foreknowledge, chosen, belief. It sounds like sometimes it's either all on God or it's all on me, and that's the only choices, and that's all you can do here. But that's where we can get stuck sometimes in reading Scripture, this rattling, this bouncing, this craziness. And now listen, this is where it hits the nitty-gritty of everyday life because they're just... Things about God we can't always fully know, but um, Tim Keller shows us what, what can happen, and I think this is really helpful. He says that when we emphasize God's sovereignty to the point that everything is being determined, even a type of fatalism where things are just going to happen no matter what, and there's nothing I can do, you can become passive. Like, well, it's just this, what's going to happen? If you emphasize your free will choices to the point of everything is up to you, you almost remove God from the equation and you become paralyzed, sensing every decision has extreme repercussions. You feel like you can't even get out of bed in the morning because every decision has that amount of repercussions. I loved what um, a 20th century pastor and professor, R.B. Kuyper, he says this uh, about an illustration using ropes. He says, I liken these two ideas to two ropes going through two holes in the ceiling and over a pulley above. If I wish to support myself by them, I must cling to them both. If I cling only to one and not the others, I go down. I read the many teachings of the Bible regarding God's election, predestination, his chosen, and so on. I read also the many teachings regarding whosoever will may come and urging people to exercise their responsibility as human beings. These seeming contradictions cannot be reconciled by the puny human mind. With childlike faith, I cling to both ropes, fully confident that in eternity I will see that both strands of truth are, after all, of one piece. But how can God have both of these ideas active at the same time? The answer, in my humble opinion, none of us are qualified to fully understand. Only God is. And paraphrasing uh, Augustine, if you think you fully understand God, it is not God that you understand. But here's what I do know, is that when we grasp both ropes, it's what I was talking about earlier. This is the how. We move away from being passive on one end or paralyzed on the other into being active and able. Because we're active because we see... God has given us a mission, a relationship with him in which we are active in it. We're, we're, we're with him and we're doing things and he's given us a mission by which to go invite others. And we are able and we're not paralyzed because he's secured our future. He's got it. He's done the work. He has it. He's holding it. So let me close with this. 29 and 30, a good way to look at this. It's like a family road trip. Now hear me out on this, family road trip. God's the one taking us there. 
But it's a family road trip. We know who the family is. You and you and you and you and you foreknew. Our destination, let's say, is the North Shore. You know, the destination's pre-decided, predestined. We, we put it in the map. We're called onto the path. We need the money, the resources to get there. It's justified. It's all been paid by Christ. And it's going to be glorious and amazing and we'll be rulers like Pastor Henry talked about in, his, in the passages last week and, and glorified with Jesus, king over all things. And so I think sometimes don't get caught up so much in the mechanics of how the family is the family that it is, but embrace the who that the family is, those that are in Jesus. And, and God has called us as his family to invite others to be part of this family by his grace and by his mercy. The whole Bible is telling of God and his mission and his love for his family, he invites us to invite others on this road trip of life and eternity. So, and if we have the family road trip, and here's, here's the map. I mean, Paul's laid it out for us. We are predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. And how does that all happen? It happens in sequence. We're called, and we're justified, and we're glorified. The map has been set. The map for God's family road trip has been made, and he holds the destination securely. He continues to work in us toward that completion. We heard it in our call to worship today in Philippians 1.6, that being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We become active and able through Christ to encourage those on the family road trip in their pursuit of Christ-likeness and love those not on the family road trip yet towards the Jesus that brings them into this great family. We can share our faith more openly and encourage each other more eagerly when we can pray confidently the things we saw in light of these verses, that we can say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for praying perfectly for me. Thank you, Father, for working all things for good for your people. And thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross that makes me able to be with you and be more like you forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you that you are good. And we know that there are some things that are they're hard to understand, but we know that you love us and you've invited us into your family and we are so thankful for that. We're thankful for your, your son's work on the cross and your Holy Spirit inside of us that holds us, that brings us into truth, that gives us life, that shapes us to be like your son. Father, we need you. And we have so many people in our life that we know that don't know you. Pray that you're working in their life even right now. Help us to see how we would engage, to be active for you in our relationship with you. Active, the mission that you've given to us. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray.